I have finally finished the book of Philippians. This is where you guys clap. Finish the book of Philippians. And I'm excited. I love that book. But verse by verse, passage by passage, we went through Paul's entire letter to the church in Philippi. And I'm so excited to announce that I'm starting my new book today, which is First Peter. Now, we've spent quite a lot of time talking about Paul, right? Scott has preached through Ephesians and James for a very long time. And I walked us through Philippians. That's all Paul. And as awesome and amazing and great and powerful and wise and as inspiring Paul's life is, the life of Peter is something that resonates so much in me. Peter has this encounter with Jesus that changes his life completely. And his journey from that point forward is filled with so many good experiences with Jesus. But his ministry is driven by one thing. It's driven by his failure. Peter was this kind of man. He was hopeful. Peter was confident and courageous. He was a bold man. He was strong, loving, and passionate. And Peter had some great qualities to him that we find all throughout the New Testament. But Peter could also be really forward. Peter could also be really rash. Sometimes he's characterized by his impulsivity. He's characterized by his inconsistency. And at times he was not faithful. Peter surely was not perfect. And if I'm honest with myself, I see all of that negative stuff in myself. And I have to believe that I'm not the only one here at Root River Church this morning that feels the same way. Regardless of where you're at with Jesus, whether you're here by force, your husband or your wife made you come or your parents made you come, that's where you're at. Whether you're there, whether you're interested in who Jesus Christ is and you're wanting to learn a little bit more about the Bible, whether you love Jesus and are already following him, or you're finding yourself at a place of failure constantly to obey his word, the truth is that we all have encounters with Jesus. But it's not about how we fail. It's about how we fight forward. And what I love about Peter is that he models the fight forward, how that looks for us. And so before we get into the book of First Peter, I want to tell you Peter's story. So I've entitled my message today, Encounters with Jesus. And to be honest, Root River Church, I want to give you a quick little encouragement before we get started, because I want you to be encouraged to find similarities in your life compared to Peter's story. I want you to see how much of you is in what Peter experienced, to see how Jesus might be wanting to encounter you in a greater way, to be open to believing that Jesus really does want to give you value. That Jesus really does want to give you a purpose and give you a new future and restore all sorts of hurts and pains in your life. He sees you where you're at. And I'm challenging this morning, will you see yourself where you're at? Will you be honest with yourself where you're at? So as I pray this morning before we get started, would you just tell him that? It's as simple as while I'm praying, you're saying, yes, Lord, that's me. It's as simple as saying, yes, Lord, I want that. Yes, Lord, I need that. Yes, Lord, I'm ready. I'm open. I'm willing for you to show me more of me that I do not know yet. So let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for this morning. I thank you for pastors like Scott and Beth that that love us and care for us day in, day out, Sunday to Sunday. God, I thank you for their faithfulness in your word and in prayer and in worship. I thank you that they get a week off. And I pray, Lord, that they feel super blessed this morning and they can get so much rest this weekend, stepping down from a Sunday to just be with you and with each other, God. But I pray this morning as we delve into Peter's life, God, that we would be open to seeing what you have for us, that we would find similarities in his life and our own, that we'd be willing to change, that we would be willing to encounter you, Lord, in a new way. I pray, I beg for that, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 
Well, let's get started with Peter. Here's a little bit about Peter. I didn't know this. He's a married man. Peter was a married man, and his brother's name was Andrew, who was actually a follower of John the Baptist. Peter was not a follower of John the Baptist. His brother Andrew was. And unlike Paul, Peter wasn't a prominent leader amongst the religious teachers. He wasn't a a man with any power or say or influence amongst people who are followers of God. But he was a man who came from a long line of fishermen. His father's name was Jonah. And the Gospels outline a few first encounters that Peter has with Jesus. So I'm not just going to go over one first encounter that Peter has with Jesus. I'm going to give you two or three of them, but two big ones. And the first one is this, Peter's first encounter with Jesus. John the Baptist is doing his ministry. He's baptizing people, hence his name, John the Baptist. And he's preaching and he's teaching about Jesus who's going to come. And he's with Andrew. And he looks at Andrew and he sees Jesus walking by the shoreline. And he goes, Andrew, Andrew, that's the guy. That's the guy I've been telling you about. That's, that's the Messiah. That's the one I've been preaching about. Go follow him. And in Andrew's mind, I would have imagined that he would have went straight to Jesus. But he doesn't go straight to Jesus. The first thing he does is go get his brother Simon. Now, Simon is obviously Peter, but his name's not Peter yet. His name is still Simon. So Andrew gets Simon. And he goes, Simon, brother, we found the Messiah. He's here. I found him. Let's go see him. And he brings him to Jesus. So Peter's brought to Jesus. And Jesus looks at Simon, I should say, Peter. And he says, you are Simon, son of Jonah, but you will be called Peter. What an odd encounter with Jesus. Jesus is not like, hey, man, how are you doing? Good to meet you. You know, I'm the savior of the world. I'm going to die for his sin someday. And you should follow me. He doesn't say anything like that. He's like, yeah, I know who you are. You're, you're Simon, son of Jonah. You will be called Peter. I can't help but tell you this morning, even if it's from this tiny passage, even if it's from these tiny little verses in scripture, but when you meet Jesus for the first time, I promise you, he already knows who you are. He already knows your story. He already knows what's going to happen. He already knows the future he wants to give you. And the truth is he wants to give you a new name. Your name does have meaning. Your name does tell a story. Your, your family lineage does tell a story. And Jesus is willing to rewrite that for you. Jesus is willing to say, yeah, you are Simon, son of Jonah, but you will be called Peter. So if there's anything I can encourage you to get started, if you're not already on this journey, are you ready for a new name? Are you ready for a new name? And if you've already started the journey and you've got your new name yet, are you living in your new name? Peter's story starts with this first encounter with Jesus where Jesus renames him. There's another significant first encounter Peter has with Jesus, but in the meantime, there's a couple small encounters. They're not necessarily insignificant. They're certainly noteworthy, but they're this. Sometime later, after that first encounter Peter has with Jesus, Jesus is walking again beside the Sea of Galilee, and he sees Peter and Andrew yet again with some of their fishing buddies, and he tells them to stop what they're doing and come hang out with them. Jesus was relational. That's all I can take from that. That Jesus wanted to build relationship. He wasn't doing something huge. He wasn't making a spectacle about his conversation or his encounters with Peter and Andrew. He just wanted to get to know them a little better. He said, hey, stop what you're doing. Come hang out. We learn a little bit later that Jesus stops by Peter's house and he sees Peter's mother-in-law is sick with a fever. And what does Jesus do? Well, in his nature, he knows he wants to fill a need and heal somebody. So he touches her hand only and the fever leaves her immediately. So after that first meeting, those are the next two encounters Peter has with Jesus. But if you can't see, there's this case that Jesus is building with Peter. He's trying to make points of contact with Peter to get to know him and for Peter to let Jesus know who he is and let him in a little bit, get the walls down, get the guard down a little bit. Jesus is building this case to be a friend of Peter. 
And Peter's just taking note of it. But there's one I really want to take note of. It's the second major encounter. Jesus is standing by the lake and teaching a a large group of people about God's word. And he sees, yet again, Peter and his fishing buddies washing their nets at shore. They were wrapping up for the day. Peter and his buddies had been fishing all night and hadn't caught a single thing. They were exhausted. They were tired. They were ready to go home and rest. And Jesus, without asking, without telling, just hops in the boat. (laughs) Jesus just hops in the boat. He says, hey, can you guys go out deep in the water a little bit? Now, if I'm Peter, I'm going to be like, Jesus, really? Come on. I just fished all night. You're not going to get any fish, dude. You don't know what you're talking about. And he kind of does it. He says, Jesus, we've, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you said to do it, I'll do it. That's what he says. And this is where I were in Luke 5, 6-7. This is what happens. When they had done so, meaning take the boat and go out, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that the boats began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and he said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. If I'm Jesus, I'm like, Peter, whoa, settle down. It's not for all that. (laughs) It's not for you. Get up. Get off your knees. Stop. We're just fishing. The church, I want to tell you something. Your encounters with Jesus will lead you to obedience. And it will lead you to seeing your sin in a greater way than you've ever seen before. Your encounters with Jesus, whether little or small, catching fish or healing people, you will find yourself on your knees praying to him. And it's hard because some of you might be in a position where you feel like you've done as much as you already could have. You could be saying, Lord, I read my Bible already this week a whole bunch. I listened to you know, Elevation Church's new sermon. I listened to Transformation Church's new sermon. I talked to Pastor Juan Carlos and Pastor Scott. I talked to my friends. I went to a women's Bible study. I prayed as much as I could. And in those moments, it may seem like a sacrifice, but I promise you, when you get on your knees before Jesus, it will be your solution. It may seem like a sacrifice, but it will be your solution. I can promise you that. And I love Peter's response to the power of Jesus. He looks at him, and instead of praising him, you would think that after seeing a miracle of Jesus, you would get on your hands and knees and start bowing and and worshiping him. But Peter doesn't do that. Instead of telling Jesus that he's the King of kings and the Lord of lords, instead of telling Jesus that he's amazing, Peter just drops to the ground. And the only thing he can focus on is how unworthy he is. You should not be with me. I am horrible. He's thinking of his sin and his selfishness. He says, go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. When we encounter Jesus, we absolutely recognize our sin. And Jesus says to Peter, he's so graceful. Peter, don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. You will be fishers of men. And they pulled up to the shore, and the Bible says that they left it all there, and they followed him. Peter at is at this point now in his relationship with Jesus where he's he's actively a follower. He can confidently say, yep, I am a follower of Jesus. I'm going where he's going. He's taken that next step. He's part of Jesus's group. Not yet a disciple, but he's part of Jesus's group. He's calling Jesus master. And from this point forward, this is a pinnacle moment for Peter because he's moving forward, set in following Jesus. And he sees Jesus preach all sorts of messages. He sees Jesus teach in the synagogues. He sees Jesus raise a little girl from the dead. He sees Jesus walk on water and challenge the religious leaders. But most of all, Peter's taking note of all the encounters with Jesus people are having that aren't his followers yet. He's seeing people meet the King of Kings for the very first time. And he's seeing people transformed left and right day after day by the hundreds and sometimes by the thousands. We're seeing people change. That's Peter. Peter was just a fisherman. 
He wasn't expecting to be a part of this huge, majestic, amazing story. He wasn't expecting to see every miracle and healing. Peter was encountering Jesus in a way he had never encountered a man before. Jesus was radically changing Peter's life. So point one, Peter encounters Jesus. Here's the next phase of Peter's life. Point two, Peter declares Jesus as Messiah. And this is found in Matthew 16. We're at this point in the story where there's a lot of chatter in the community, in the cities, in the towns that Jesus has been to about who this Jesus guy actually is. And internally, Peter has reflected, yeah, this is, this has got to be the guy. Internally, he's thinking, yeah, I've seen him change some really, I've seen him do some really crazy things. Like this has to be God incarnate. This has to be the Messiah. Internally, Peter has made that decision, but we're in the point of the story where Peter's finally ready to say it out loud in front of people making a declaration of his faith for Jesus Christ. And we're going to read it together. It's Matthew 16, 13 through 19. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, what do you say the son of man is? They replied, well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Jesus responds, what about you? Who do you say I am? What do you got? I don't care what they say. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter jumps up. He answered, you are the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus replies, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, new name. You are Peter, not Simon. And on this rock, meaning Peter in that language, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. Isn't it interesting that Peter always seems to be the first person to speak up? He's like the spokesperson of the disciples. He's always asserting himself. He's always putting himself at the front of the debate. He's always wanting to encounter Jesus first and primarily him. And Jesus is always responding to him. Jesus is okay with that. But I love that he immediately is ready to share. Check this out. It's sort of like he's thinking about this for a while now. It's like internally, Peter's been like, just give me the opportunity, Jesus. I'm going to say it. Give me the opportunity, Jesus. I'll say it. I'll say it in front of everybody so they can hear me. And then you're going to acknowledge me. And then like, I'm going to be the man. Just give me the opportunity, Jesus. So Jesus says, well, who do you say I am? Peter pops out of his chair. You are the son of God. You are the son of man. He popped out of his chair super quick to assert himself. He was just waiting for his chance to declare that Jesus Christ is the savior of the world. Church, we need to get to a point where we're willing to put ourselves out there like that. We need to get to a point in our lives where we're like Peter, just waiting, just waiting for the opportunity Jesus gives us to assert our love for Jesus in a public way, to be willing to say that Jesus is your, is your Lord, that he is the Messiah, the son of the living God. Take a look at your life right now. Only you know what you think and say and do in private and in public. Only you know that, you and God. Take a look at your life right now. Think about your interactions at work. Think about your conversations with your husband or your wife at home in front of your children. Think about how you respond to your children. Think about how you respond to work in front of your children. Think about how you respond to people at work or to people, your neighbors or people at the grocery store. What are your interactions like? Are you just can't wait to share? Or are you really just like internalizing everything and not willing to say anything at all? Peter's life is this. He encounters Jesus. He declares Jesus as Messiah. And now we're at this third point. And this third point is a tough one. It's, it's, it's when Jesus predicts Peter's denial. This is where the story starts to get a little complicated because Peter has reached a point where he thinks he's in the best spiritual position ever. He's a follower of Jesus Christ, the King of the Jews. 
in Peter's life right now, it's a time of peace and empowerment. He's in a really good spot. He's in a really good move. And he's about to not be. He's about to not be. And if this portion of the message ain't for anybody in this room, I'm telling you right now, it was for me. Because there are so many times in my walk that I have felt so strong and so bold and so I don't need this or so I don't need to do this or that. I don't need to go to that. I don't need to attend this whatever. I'm I'm good. I I watch sermons at home and I, I pray all the time and I worship God in my living room and I, I'm doing it. I listen to podcasts and everything. I, I have felt so strong in my faith because of what I've done and it allowed me truly to coast. It allowed me truly to never analyze my life. It allowed me to never really take a second look at how I'm living. It allowed me to not challenge myself. And in God's wisdom and mercy, Jesus is like, well, I can, I'll show you. I'll show you, Peter. I'll show you, Juan Carlos. You're in a good spot. Let me show you something real quick. I want to show me that I have not arrived and never will. And that's what happens to Peter. We're at the point in the story where Jesus had just finished teaching at the temple. Jesus was teaching all sorts of stuff. It's like three chapters long of just parable after parable, message after message. And this time when he's teaching, he's not just teaching about the Son of Man. He's preaching forcefully. He's talking about people are going to die. The world is going to end. There's going to be some craziness going on. And he's calling out the religious leaders for three chapters. And he's calling them hypocrites. He's saying, woe to you religious leaders, to the religious leaders in front of hundreds of people. That's the message Jesus is preaching. And we get to this point where he's done teaching that, that same night. And we get to Matthew 26 and he pauses and he pulls his disciples aside and talks to them in private. And he tells them he's going to be handed over and killed. Now, if I'm, I'm the disciples, I'm watching Jesus and listening to Jesus preach this horrendous sounding stuff about the end of the world. Lord, what are you talking about? Because this is some crazy talk. This is terrifying. But he says, I'm going to be handed over and killed. As you know, he says to them, Passover is in two days. It is two days away, and the Son of Man will be handed over and crucified. Think about this. They had been following him for quite some time now. This is all new to them. This new talk, he's talking about he's going to get killed. Like, what is going on, Jesus? They had grown to love this man. They had grown to believe in his ministry. They had grown to support his calling, to partner with him. Jesus Christ was their best friend, and most importantly, he was their Lord. To hear that all of a sudden he's going to die, it had to have caused them grief. It had to have caused them a little terror. It had to have put some fear in their heart. must have been a huge surprise. And we fast forward to that night, and you know how the story goes, but fast forward to that night, Passover night, and this is what we call, right, the Lord's Supper. It's how we model communion as we do in our churches. And he brings up the subject again. Jesus said it one time, and kind of let it be, Later that night, he's like, no, I'm not letting you get away with this. I'm I'm bringing it up again. This is what he says. I tell you the truth. One of you will betray me. I tell you the truth, guys. You can think of it however you want, but it's going to happen. You're going to betray me. The Bible says right after he says that they were very sad. And you know what they said? This is the sad part. Immediately they're saying, not I, Lord. Not me. Not me, Lord. Not I, Lord. I would never do that. The Bible says one by one, they said, not I, surely not I, Lord, not me. There's no way I could do that to you, God. All 12 of them. As the dinner came to an end, they broke bread and drank the cup, took communion. And after dinner, they go to this spot where Jesus loves to pray. And he brings it up again, third time now, same night. Brings it up again. He says, this very night, you will all fall away on account of me. You guys aren't listening. You're going to fall away, I promise you. 
And Jesus starts to recite some scripture and pray in front of the group. And he's reciting all these prophecies to kind of teach them, like, this is what's going to happen. Remember what it says in the Old Testament? That's me. Remember, I'm going to experience this horrible. That's what's going to happen. And one of you is going to betray me. And Peter, again, as the person who's going to assert himself, the impulsive guy that he is, the passionate guy he is, the spokesperson of this group, blurts out again, Jesus, even if they fail, I never will. Are we catching Peter's story right now? He's wanting to prove himself. He's wanting to be the faithful one. He's wanting to be the guy. And Jesus, hearing Peter say, even if they fail, I never will, Lord, he says this, before the rooster crows, you will have denied me three times. He knew Peter wasn't really thinking straight. He knew Peter he knew Peter wasn't realizing the depth of the weight he was going to feel when 30 plus people or 100 plus people, however many people were accusing Jesus. He didn't know how heavy that was going to be in that moment. So in his weakness, he's like, I would never do that. But he didn't know. Peter, again, not taking Jesus at face value after Jesus says, before the rooster crows, uh, you will have denied me three times. He says, even until death, I will never disown you, Jesus. Peter is adamant. He is not willing to to lose that battle with Jesus. He is not willing to give up the fact that he knows that he's going to stand with Jesus even in dying. Before I continue this, this is where I find myself so often in my alone time with Jesus. I'm repenting of my sin, and I'm telling him I'm done with it, that I'm not going to do it ever again, telling him that I want to live for him and prove my faithfulness and prove my love and prove myself worthy. I'm wanting to be good for him. I'm wanting to be the right guy, the faithful servant, and I'm disregarding what he said in Scripture about my sin. I'm in those prayers that I have with him. I'm disregarding that I'm a fallible human being. In those prayers to God, I overexert myself and say, I can be perfect for you, God, I promise. I'm promising Jesus, even though I know I might fail. I say, Jesus, even unto death, I would never disown you. Juan Carlos, I, I would never disown you, Jesus. You see me, I love you. I find myself in the same spot that Peter is. I can't be alone here. There's no way I'm the only one in this room that feels that way. And then this absolutely breaks my heart. Just like Peter, I'm screaming, not I, Lord. Surely not I, Lord. Surely I won't. And you list whatever sin that you don't want to do or you're fearful of. I find myself repeating what Peter said over and over. And this is, I've been a believer almost all my life. And that's the same prayer every time. And you'd think that I'd learn that I should stop making those promises because I can't keep them. So they're in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus is praying and he's talking to his disciples and he tells them to sit and wait. And and the Bible says that Jesus was scared and overwhelmed with sorrow because he knew what was going to happen. He knew how horribly he was going to die. He knew that all his friends would abandon him. I mean, he was going to feel the most of shame that you could possibly feel. And here we go. The guards come with Judas Iscariot. And what does Peter do? Pulls out that sword. He's like, I'm going to, yeah, I'm not going to, I'll die with you, Jesus. And he slices the dude's ear off. Peter, this narrative that he's trying to be the guy. He's trying to be better. He's trying to prove himself faithful to Jesus, trying to do works and trying to act a certain way to prove to Jesus that he he can do it. And, And they take Jesus away. And the Bible says that Peter follows him in the distance. And it leads us to our next point. Peter denies Christ, just like Jesus says. Jesus is taken in front of the high priest and all the leaders and all those people wanted him dead. They asked Jesus if he's the Messiah. They ask him straight up, we hate you, we don't like you. In front of all these people, tell us that you're the Messiah. And what does Jesus say? That's me. 
I'm the Messiah. Yep. I am that. The Bible says they start to spit on him, start to hit him. And there's like this commotion rising up and there's angst everywhere. And people are mad and angry and yelling and cursing him and saying all these things. And Peter is right there. And what happens in that scenario when the tempers are at the highest they could be? Somebody looks at Peter and says, you were with Jesus in Galilee. What is Peter's response? I don't know what you're talking about. Peter's a little scared in this moment. He's terrified. People are looking at him. Someone just called him out and he just rejected. He's not thinking about what Jesus said. He's just trying to get out of there safe. So he starts to move throughout the crowd to leave the building. And someone accuses him again, but in front of everybody. And everybody's looking at him. And someone says, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And this time the Bible says he, he said it with an oath. I do not know who this man is. And people just pause for a second. That's two times. Spitting on Jesus some more, cursing at him, they're yelling at him, they're calling him out on all these things. And someone does it just a moment later, says, surely you are one of them because your accent gives you away. And the Bible says that he calls down curses upon himself and the group. And he said, he swears to them, I do not know who this man is. And in that moment, the Bible says immediately a rooster crowed. Peter remembers, Peter remembers what Jesus said. The Bible says he weeps bitterly. Peter wasn't anyone special. He was just a fisherman. Until he met Jesus, he had no purpose. Until he met Jesus, his life was completely mediocre. He had no hope or a future. He had no purpose or vision beyond what was given him by his family to fish for the rest of his life. And he stumbles upon this man named Jesus, and he gets a new name out of nowhere. He becomes a new creation. He gets this new friendship and he goes on this journey and he's experiencing some weird and crazy and powerful and awesome things. He doesn't know what to make of it. And it's wild. And as time goes on in his faith, he begins to grow. He begins to believe that Jesus is who he says he is. He starts to think, perhaps this is the God, the creator of the universe. Maybe I'm actually talking to the God of the Old Testament. And when he's on the right path after these three years and Jesus is going to die, he has the worst moment in his life and he turns back on the same man that had given him purpose. His heart must have been breaking immensely. Peter's broken. He's weeping bitterly. In that moment that he denies Jesus, he's recounting everything Jesus had ever showed him, had ever taught him, had ever proved to him. And he's got to be thinking, how could I pretend that what I experienced with Jesus was not true? All the passion all the confidence and all the boldness he thought he had for Jesus, the Christian he desperately wanted to look like and be, it had eluded him. And in his time of weakness, he was just another failure. I know some of you have to be feeling this way. I know some of you ought to feel this way and don't. My challenge to you, church, is maybe you haven't denied Christ the same exact way Peter has. Maybe you don't say verbatim, Jesus is not the Lord. I don't know this man. Maybe you don't say all those things, but, but is it possible that your words and your actions characterize denial? Is it possible that your attitudes towards people in your life and your family and the world is characterized by denial? Maybe you don't say, no, I don't know Jesus, but you're impatient with people. You have a bad attitude. You're not kind. Maybe you make crude jokes. Maybe you're just judgmental and you're not active in the church. Maybe you just don't ever choose to go the extra mile to show extravagant love to unbelievers. And maybe you're just too lazy to spend time with Jesus in in prayer. Whatever it may be, denying Jesus isn't always denouncing the faith. Maybe it's just you haven't really made him your Lord yet. So Peter's life, Peter encounters Jesus. Peter declares Jesus as the Messiah. Peter, uh, Jesus predicts his denial. Peter finally denies Christ. And now, days later, 
After Jesus is crucified, he's resurrected the three days later, we see Jesus starting to appear before all sorts of people in the town, especially his disciples. He's starting to prove to his family and his loved ones, everything I told you, I'm real. Look, you saw me die. Now I'm no longer dead. He starts to appear to everyone to encourage them, to teach them, to love them, to reassure them of the truth that he's been speaking to them for the last three years and what the resurrection actually means to reaffirm them in their faith. And Peter's story is about to get so much better because in this whole time, he's just contemplating how he failed Jesus. He has this opportunity to see Jesus one more time. He has this opportunity to reset. He hears that Jesus is raised from the dead and he's looking for him. He goes to the tomb. He's talking to his people and Jesus is going to let him start over. If Peter wants to apologize. Peter's going to get that chance. Can I just apologize? And then instead of Jesus expecting Peter to beg and grovel at Jesus's feet, Jesus does this. And my next point is that Jesus reinstates Peter. And it's found in John 21. And I'm going to read this with you because this is a new defining moment for Peter. This is a huge part of his story. John 21, 15 through 19. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? What a weird question to get out of nowhere after we're eating on a boat. Why not the other 12? Why not the other people? Why, why didn't he ask any of them? No, Jesus looks at Peter and says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Peter's looking at him, and I got it. It's like puppy dog eyes looking at Jesus like, yeah, Jesus, you know, you know me. You know that I love you. Of course you know that I love you, Jesus. And Jesus responds, okay, feed my sheep. Verse 16, again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know you know, God, I love, you know, Jesus, I love you. I know I failed you, but you know, you know my heart. He says, okay, take care of my sheep. Third time, Jesus says to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. The Bible says that Peter was hurt that Jesus would ask him a third time. Do you love me? He says, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. So Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, Peter, when you were younger, You dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted. But when you are old and you stretch out your hands, and someone else is going to dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. That's verse 18. And and so that we're not confused, the writer narrates the next portion. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said it to him, follow me. Do you love me? Ah, Do you love me? You know I love you. Do you love me? Of course, you know all things. And follow me. Church, when you found yourself failing in your faith, all it takes is another encounter with Jesus. All it takes is to see him one more time. All it takes is to read one more passage. All it takes is to worship him one more word. All it takes is to pour out your heart in one more prayer, one more encounter with Jesus. And you can tell him that you love him. He isn't asking you and needing you to grovel at his feet and beg him for mercy and salvation. Jesus is needing you to move forward and just get back to it. Hit the ground running. Yeah, I know you failed. Get back to church. Go to the Bible study. Get back to prayer. Start worshiping me again. Get back to showing your love to people who do not know me yet. Get back to using what I've given you to make people better. Start living in the calling. Start living as Peter and not Simon. I gave you a new name. Are you living in your new name? Saying to you, Root River Church, do you love me? When you're failing, he's just asking, do you love me? Yeah, move forward. Don't stay. You don't need to beg me for forgiveness. If your heart's a repentant heart, you will. I'm encouraged by the remainder of Peter's story. Because shortly after Jesus leaves them the final time, 
Peter, having been filled with the Holy Spirit, becomes one of the greatest preachers ever known to man. We read in the first 10 chapters of Acts that he starts to take over the church. Start to see him lead the disciples in how to replace Judas. Yeah, Judas failed. Yep, he killed himself. We need a replacement. Who's going to do it? Let's cast lots. Oh, Matthias, you're it. Come on in. This is Peter. Every day after that, he and the other disciples met at the temple courts and started teaching people in Jerusalem. He started telling them about Jesus' life, and, and he starts telling about his own life. And it's all fueled by Peter's failure. Everything that he knew he wasn't, he's preaching forward. It's fueled by the overwhelming love and mercy and grace and power and restoration and forgiveness that Jesus showed him. And the Bible says that more than 3,000 people were added to the Christian fold in one single day. That's Peter, this fisherman, a nobody, someone who thought he was the man, thought he had the strongest faith, thought he was going to be the most faithful to Jesus and failed him. The guy who publicly disowned Jesus Christ to save the universe. God, Jesus looks at him right in his eyes and he just says, do you love me? Awesome. Get, get up and start telling him about me. And that's what Peter did. 3000 people. This whole timeline that Peter goes through in his life is something that we ought to be going through in our life. And we do. We do encounter Jesus all the time. We claim Jesus as our Messiah in our hearts and in our minds amongst our friends. And at some point, Jesus reminds us, like, yeah, you're sinners. You're going to keep failing. You will sin. And then we do. We deny him in front of other people with our thoughts, our words, and our actions. And you know what he does? Just like he does for Peter, he forgives us. He asks us, do you love me? He says, it's okay. I know it's okay. Just get up. Don't get off the ground. Move forward. And he promises him success in the kingdom. And that's, we have that. Jesus tells us that's us. It's left for us. He left us the Holy Spirit to give us gifts, to move us forward, to spread the gospel in the same way that Peter did. My friend uh, was uh, teaching about the leadership of Jesus a few weeks ago at this youth pastor's retreat I went to. And uh, it's just funny he was talking about this. What he said made everybody just kind of stop in the room and just like think about this moment. Think about Peter as an old man. I don't know if you guys all know this about how Peter died. Peter as an old man is going to be crucified for his faith. And he, he won't dare get crucified the same way Jesus does, so he asked them to crucify him upside down. And as an old man, he's recounting every thing that we just went through today, and he's finally going to get to do it. Think about Peter, who failed and failed and failed, and Jesus just loved him anyways, and he's going to die as an old man in a really gruesome way. And he's not thinking about his pain. He's not thinking about his hurts or his frustrations or his failures. He's just like, I get to do it now. I finally did it. I died like you said I was, I was faithful, Jesus. I got to do it. And you know what's really cool? Is that when he died, where was he? He went straight to heaven. And he's standing right in front of Jesus. And I got to imagine that Jesus embraces him. Some of you need to encounter Jesus in this way. And your faith needs to take root in the same way it took root in Peter's life. When I'm an old man, I want to be able to die for my faith. I'm not there yet, I'll tell you that. I would not die for my faith. I don't think. But Peter sense of relief did it i proved myself faithful i'm finally the guy told me i was going to be on peter and the rock he built his church and he embraces jesus last final encounter for eternity will you encounter jesus this morning when you leave church this morning and you go into your lives will you continue to seek an encounter with jesus that changes you that changes every view you have that changes every word you want to say, every attitude you hold, every sin that you're doing, encounters with Jesus do that. And so if your life isn't changing, it's not because Jesus isn't there. 
And it's not because Jesus isn't ready to change your life and encounter you. You need to reflect on that. Will you encounter Jesus this morning? Let's pray. Lord, I love you so much. And I have failed like Peter over and over and over again. All of us in this room have failed like Peter over and over. And I thank you so much that you're just willing to encounter us. I thank you that despite my ugliness and my sin and my attitudes and my words, that you're willing to encounter me and embrace me. And you just say, get up and let's move forward. So I pray this morning, God, that as we sing this next song, Great Are You, Lord, that we mean it, that we think about these last five points, these encounters that that Peter has with you, God, and we accept it and we say with our mouths, we receive it. We say with our mouths that you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. We say that we love you. We have this encounter with you, God. I pray that it's so real for people here this morning. In Jesus' name we pray.